0: Good morning, church! Merry Christmas to everyone! Welcome to campus. If you're joining us online, welcome to you as well. We're so thrilled that you've joined us. Glad to have you today. Those were images from Friday night. Uh, this was our staff Christmas party. My my wife Beth always organizes that. And you can see everyone was having a great time. This was at the Wedding Factory in Albany, who were gracious hosts for us, and so we uh, had a great time. Trust that you've uh, been celebrating already with family and friends, associates in this beautiful holiday season. It is uh, a wonderful time of the year. Uh, I want to give you permission to laugh or moan in the next few moments, okay? You have permission. You ready? What do you call an elf who sings? A rapper. Yeah, it's going to be like that. Why, why is Christmas just like your job? You do all the work, and the fat guy with the suit gets all the credit. That is so true. What's the difference between the Christmas alphabet and the ordinary alphabet? The Christmas alphabet has no L. Exactly. What do you call people who are afraid of Santa Claus? a claustrophobic of course why why does the christmas tree uh, not able to stand up has no legs right on the front row they had that right that's pretty good it's probably not a good sign what do you call an obnoxious reindeer rude off it gets worse why was Santa's little helper depressed? Because he had low elf esteem. Should have left a drummer. What do you call a kid who doesn't believe in Santa? A rebel without a clause. What do you call Santa's helpers? Subordinate clauses surprised you're not getting some of these. (laughs) Here are the four stages of life. Stage number one, you believe in Santa Claus. Stage number two, you don't believe in Santa Claus. Stage number three, you dress up as Santa Claus. Stage number four, you look like Santa Claus. (laughs) Can I get a witness? And just remember that Christmas isn't about how big the tree is or how many presents are under the tree, but the people gathered around. There you go. Well, I offered this challenge last week. Some of you are celebrating Christmas for the first time as a follower of Jesus. You have made a decision to follow Jesus in this year, and this is your first Christmas as a believer in Christ. And how wonderful that is. Some of us have been celebrating Christmas as a follower of Jesus for decades. Here's my challenge and the invitation to you all. That you hear the story as we rehearse it over these weeks. Try to hear it for the first time. Try to hear it for the first time. And appreciate the wonder which is the season of Christmas. The celebration of the advent of Jesus Christ. And and so I hope today that you can appreciate that perspective as we consider the wonder of a name. Let me teach just for a moment. Two of the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, actually address the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. Those two gospels come from two different perspectives. Again, let me just teach for a moment. Luke, for example, was a Gentile physician. He's the only New Testament author who was Gentile. Everyone else was Hebrews. And he carefully traces Jesus' lineage, so when you have a genealogy in in Luke's gospel, it goes all the way back to Adam, the original man. And so that's his perspective. He wants us to understand the universality of Christ, that that the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the gospel, is for everyone, everywhere. He also has special concerns, perhaps from his physician's heart, you know, he's he's a compassionate kind of person, and he's concerned for people who are down and out. On the margins. And so the stories that he tells of the encounters of Jesus have to do with people that Jesus touches who are on the margins. He has special reference to women. Uh, In Luke's gospel, we read of Elizabeth and Anna, the woman who anointed Jesus with oil and wiped his feet with her hair. And so you you get these kinds of images from Luke. And so we know that Luke's gospel is written then from Mary's point of view, the mother of Jesus. He wants his readers to know that Jesus is for everyone, and he emphasizes his humble birth in a manger, tells of lowly shepherds coming to pay homage, etc. So that's Luke's perspective from Mary's point of view. Matthew's perspective is different. He's a Jewish patriot, he's a tax collector. And Jesus' ancestors, he tracks it. the genealogy we find in Matthew's gospel, goes all the way back to Abraham. And so you begin to see the the Jewish and Hebraic interest in Matthew's perspective. And Matthew demonstrates that Christ is indeed the long-awaited Messiah and the one who will redeem captive Israel. And so we find more references in Matthew's gospel to Old Testament prophets, lots of cross-referencing in this gospel, and what Matthew is trying to convince us of is that there is a preponderance of evidence, and this evidence is all adding up to a logical conclusion, which is Jesus is the Messiah. So because of the nature of Jewish culture in his day, Matthew tells the story of the birth of Jesus from Joseph's point of view. So you you get those two different perspectives. Now, one thing they have in common... The stories in Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, they complement each other. The birth of Jesus, we see all these parallels and the story gets fleshed out as you see both perspectives. But there is a point in both stories where the two stories converge. And it is at the point where both Joseph and Mary are visited by an angel announcing the birth of this boy. And as this birth has been announced by these angels... The conclusion, con- conclusion to this encounter is, a, is an acknowledgement of, of how they are to name this baby. And you shall name the boy, you shall name the child, Jesus. And, and this is where there is there is convergence and where there's agreement. So I want to talk today about the wonder of a name. I, I have a few points, but I just want to make one One major emphasis today that you take home with you, and that is the specialness, the uniqueness, the meaningfulness of the name Jesus and what it means to us and to the world. First point, a special name. Both Mary and Joseph receive independent inspiration from an angel. You shall name, you shall call his name Jesus. Now, why is this important? Why is Jesus a special name? Well, we all know that naming our children is a big deal. It's special in every culture to give children names. Back in the day, uh, before sonogram technology became so, uh, so well-developed, most baby showers were held after the birth of the baby because there's no way to know for certain the gender of the baby, and so uh, you'd have to wait to know, you know what colors to buy and those sorts of things. Today, of course, we have baby showers well ahead of the birth, because of sonogram technology, and we're able to identify a gender very quickly. And also, um, uh, we have parents now, because all of that is easily known early in gestation, they withhold the name. We're not telling anyone the names that we've chosen for our baby. Uh, We want at least something to be a surprise for everyone. Today, uh, names are selected from all kinds of places, and it's kind of curious to study the names that young parents are giving to their children in today's culture, I found a a, a group of these. I shared these in the first service, uh, and only by faith do I share them again because I thought it might be humorous to hear some of the names given children today. Uh, So if you'll play along, it it will help me very much. For example, some of the funny names given for babies in today's culture are cricket, banjo, satchel. Yeah, I imagine that's a small baby. (laughs) Egypt, Bluebell, Madonna, Apple, Sunday. I guess you're going to name a child after a day of the week. Sunday's a good day, best day of the week. Uh, This one I liked, Audi. Uh, This is for those of us who want want one but can't afford the automobile, so you name your (laughs) child one. Bandit, hashtag, I know, mustard, Summer rain, Nutella. That's got to be a pretty sweet little thing, right? (laughs) India, Titan, you know, sounds sounds like a legend already. Hey, Titan, come over here. Amazing. Buzz, Michelangelo. When the parents were asked, they said, you know, after Buzz Lightyear of Toy Story and the famous artist, Michelangelo. Okay, well, we can see where your cultural references are coming from in your life. Another uh, couple named their child Burger. Apparently, they love fast food. And it is a couple of notches better than Booger. It's a personal opinion. A woman gave birth to twins in New Zealand and named them Fish and Chips. A woman in Norway, apparently Norway has some, you know, some culture and some expectations about naming your children. She named her her son Bridge, which doesn't seem like a, you know, horrible name, but they actually threw her in jail for two days for being so stupid (laughs) as to name her son Bridge. I don't know what it means. Peanut, jelly bean, fish, spiky, blazer, style, no pressure there, cat, bubba, Bobo, Immaculate, you know, now she has to be perfect her whole life. Scout, you know, which is a kid who will never get lost. Moon, Diva. Now, some of us raise daughters, I know. You wish you'd have named your child Diva because she turned out to be one, and you might as well call her what, what she is. Catamaran. This is a kid who will sail the seven seas, apparently. Jigsaw. That doesn't puzzle or confuse anyone, does it? (laughs) See what I mean? Got the same response first service. I'm not sure it's working. I I don't even know. Some folks use the name John. These are for parents too lazy to come up with something new. I suppose, like my mother. Toasted. Name, name given by people who love sandwiches. I guess, Smelly. S m e l l i e Smelly. I figure these are parents who hadn't been sleeping for several weeks ahead of time, and they just miss, misspelled Smiley, and it came out Smelly. <laughs> now, see, I thought that was funnier than than you're letting <laughs> on. I thought that had poten- potential. <laughs> Two more. Thank you. <laughs> How about the name Twelve? I mean, you got one, two, three, or four, but if you're going to use a number, why not Twelve? Seems right. And the last one I'll share with you is Katniss. People are calling their children's Katniss. Obviously, Hunger Game fans. We have in our we have in our uh, extended family a dog named Khaleesi, which of course is a Game of Thrones reference, the Dragon Queen. Yeah. So apparently, just about any name's up for grabs these days. What we can do now, if we can come back to the sermon, (laughs) is when we see the Bible introducing names and sometimes even changing names, the changes are about purpose and and mission and destiny. For, For example, Abraham's name originally was Abram, you may recall. Abraham now means the father of a multitude. That makes sense. His wife, Sarai, the original name, actually actually meant quarrelsome. But Sarah means princess. Jesus, if you'll if you recall, actually renamed or gave nickname to Simon, Simon Peter. And so Simon means Petros, and Peter means rock. And so Jesus nicknamed this guy the rock, which is pretty cool. And so it also affected how he went through the world. So we ask the question, why is it so important that Jesus be given that name? And obviously, it was ordered from heaven, and you shall give him the name Jesus. Well, it's because there's something special about the name. Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. Now, some of you already knew that. So in Hebrew, it's Joshua, in Greek and as we have practiced in English, Jesus. This name would have been meaningful to Joseph and Mary. In fact, every Hebrew in the world because they're all familiar with the name Joshua. You will remember that Joshua was the successor to Moses. We've just studied the story this year and you remember Moses was raised up as a deliverer to extricate the Hebrews out of Egyptian bondage over 400 years of that slavery. They end up in the Crossing the Red Sea in the Sinai Desert, where forty years pass, and now the reins of leadership are passed from Moses to Joshua. Now, you you may recall that Joshua's given name, Hebrew name, as he was born into slavery in Egypt, was Hoshea. And it's important to know that Hoshea means salvation. Moses, as they are about to go into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, the milk flowing, uh, land flowing with milk and honey, he sends out 12 spies. Ten of these spies come back. They give this negative report. They say, uh, it's a great land. It's a beautiful land, but the people there are powerful. Their cities are fortified. There, there are giants in the land. There's no way we can take, take the land. But there were two Positive, good reports, faith-filled reports, and they came. If you'll recall, from the men named Caleb, and you want to say Joshua, but his given name was Hoshea. And just before Moses sent them out as spies, he renamed Hoshea Joshua. Now, everything I want to say today is focused on these the the next ninety seconds. So if you've come here and you haven't been paying attention, you know the jokes are over so you don't care anymore, if you'll just give me 90 seconds, I'll give you what I want you to take home. Are you ready? We read in Numbers 13 that before Moses sent out the spies, he renamed Hoshea to Joshua. And what he did is he took two words and compounded them into the name Joshua. The two words he used were Jehovah, which was the Hebrew name, the Israeli name for God, and Hoshea, which was his given name, Hebrew name, which means salvation. And so he renamed Hoshea Joshua using the first portion of Yahweh, Joshua, and the last part of Hoshea to form Joshua. And so the interpretation, the literal interpretation of Joshua's name is the God of salvation or the God of who saves and you translate Joshua from the from the Hebrew to the Greek and you have Jesus whose name means the god of salvation or the god who saves there's a lot in a name names are important and the definition of those names mean a lot so it is a special name for that reason now let's move to the second thought it's the name that saves Have you ever reflected on the fact that God sent his only, only son, one and only son into a mean and hostile world to suffer the way he did? Have you ever stopped, if you're thinking about Christmas for the first time, the incarnation for the first time in your life, trying to imagine that from a very new place, try to imagine what would motivate God to do such a thing? We can speculate about that, and people have over time. For example, if the problem was ignorance, it's just that we didn't know enough about God or what God expects of us, so, so God had to send someone to tell us, Jesus could have simply been a teacher, and that would have been enough. That would have been all that was required. If the problem was brokenness, and we all understand brokenness, don't we? We all have hurts and, and levels of, of habits and hang-ups and, and, and wounds, and all of us suffer Going through this life. And so we under we all understand brokenness to one level or another. And if brokenness was our primary problem, then all Jesus would have had to be was a healer. So God would send a healer and and heal all of the brokenness in in life, and that would have been sufficient. Or maybe the problem was relational. I mean, as you know, we have problems getting along with one another. Have you noticed this inability? to really get along, even with people we love. And so this is, this is a real problem. And if it was the problem, then all Jesus would have had to do was come and be a counselor and engage in the psychological sciences and help us sort it all out so that we can get along better. Or if poverty was the greatest crisis in the world, all we would need from Jesus is a prophetic voice, you know, to stand up for justice and opportunity. But what we learn is that the problem is actually much deeper than any or all of those things. The problem is not ignorance. The problem in the human condition is not only brokenness. It is not only relationship. It is not only poverty. The angel said to Joseph, I'll put this on the screen for you just to remind you. The angel said, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. We read further in Luke chapter 2, his depiction of this. We all remember this from, from stories in the past where an angelic choir visits angels out watching their flocks on the night of Jesus' birth. And they say to the, to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all the people, the whole world. For unto you in, in the city of David has been born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is great, glorious, wonderful, good news. And so the angels announce that a Savior has been born, not not merely a teacher, not merely a healer, not just a counselor, not just a prophet, but a Savior. And so as it turns out, the big problem is the problem of sin. We need a Savior. So God sent Jesus and that's really good news. The good news is that God loves you so much. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants you to be included in his family. I want to announce something to some of you who need to hear this today. God is not against you. He's not. He's not against you. Oh, yeah, God's angry. God's ticked off. He's disappointed with me. I, I'm, he's judgmental toward me. Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. No, he's not against you. He's for you. And it does not matter. Listen, I'm telling you the truth today. It doesn't matter how far you have wandered away from God or how far you've, you've wandered in your life, not even caring about God in your life. No matter how far out you have gone, God wants you to come home. He wants you back. He wants you to return. He's for you. Everyone knows John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Very few people can quote the next verse. Look at it on the screen with me. John three seventeen. Jesus said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. There's the truth. Have eyes to see it. Have the courage to believe it. Have the, have the humility to worship him. Amen. pastor spoke with a young man that he had known from the time he was just a boy. He saw him all these years later. This, uh, this boy was special. He was first in his high school class. He went on to uh, college on a scholarship and then to a, a very prestigious law school and was now working with a respected law firm. He met his pastor after all those years. And of course, the pastor congratulated him on his personal success, and the pastor was thankful to, the, and, the, and the boy was thankful to the pastor. And finally, the pastor said, well, what church are you attending? Because the boy had been very outspoken and sincere in his faith growing up. And so the pastor was hoping that he had maintained that same interest. And the boy said to him, you know, pastor, I'm sorry to say I don't go to church, He said, I've been too busy. I've had too much to do. And then this quote, quote, Pastor, I've got so many personal goals to attain that I don't have time for religion. Could I just say that that's a common response in today's world? So many, so many, so many, so many, so many people. Too busy too preoccupied with this or that. But the fact is, all of us need a Savior. Romans chapter 3, verse 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You don't hear much preaching on sin anymore, do you? No, no one in the culture talks about it. I mean, the psychological sciences have just about erased all conversation about Sin. You know, we're all hurt, we're all wounded, we're all damaged, and we're all just acting out, out of the pain that someone else has caused us. And so, therefore, you don't have to worry about how you behave and act out. It's not your fault, not your problem, not your, not your responsibility. So we don't talk about sin anymore. It's interesting. Everyone has been victimized, so no one has personal accountability. Let me put this statement on the screen and see what you think of it. The notion of sin doesn't fly well in a society that so often denies personal responsibility and believes nothing is truly wrong if it makes you feel good. The only problem with that uh, point of view, that perspective, that worldview, the only problem with it is it doesn't square up with what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, "...for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." And then another verse in the book of Romans written by the Apostle Paul says, And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So as it turns out, we're all sinners found guilty of sin, which separates us from God not only today but for all eternity, and there has been a solution found. And it's the good news, the glorious good news of the coming, the incarnation of God in human flesh in order to take upon himself the penalty of every person's sin who has ever lived. And so the angel said, "Rejoice." And the angels also announced to Joseph and Mary, "You shall call his name Jesus, which means the God who saves." And we are so thankful for that salvation. <laughs> Amen. So forgiveness and inclusion into the family of God is made available to all of us as we acknowledge the gift offered to us in Christ. So it's a name that saves. It's a special name and it's a name that saves. Thank God. Last point, short holiday sermon. You're welcome. And no more corny jokes. You get a new name. There's a new name. When I was 10 years old, I took a paper route. Uh, A much older friend of mine uh, delivered the Grit newspaper, G-R-I-T, Grit. How many of you remember the Grit paper? Look around the room. These are the really, really old people in the room. (laughs) As I mentioned, I was 10 years old, and my friend wanted to turn loose of his paper route, and my dad heard about it, and he was enthused about the idea of me having a paper route, and, and so he said, would you like to deliver the grit paper? And I said, well, I, I, I don't know, I guess. Um, how old do you have to be? And he said, well, you have to be at least 12. And I said, well, I'm, I'm only 10. He said, I don't worry about that. See, my, my dad never worried about child labor laws. We owned a small town grocery store, and some of my earliest memories in life is actually st- sacking groceries and carrying them out by the time I was 10, I'd been working for years, like full-time working for years. And so my dad said, "Now I'll fill out the application for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see him doing it, putting my name on it, and then it says age, and he, went, he just goes, 12, <laughs> because he doesn't care. So I started delivering the grit paper, and it was a pretty good deal, because you only had to deliver it one day a week on Saturday. So on Saturday morning, I would get up, and I had you know a handful, uh, forty or fifty customers, but I had to collect every week because you're only there once a week, and so you knock on the door, and the paper cost fifteen cents, and I made a nickel on every paper. It it was good money, back in the day, and and so it was a good deal, and so I delivered the grit, in order to manage that business, my dad, you know, carefully took me to the bank and, and we, we took out a checking account in my name. And he was very careful, you know, to how to fill out a check. And I remember, I remember distinctly all those years ago, writing my first check. I actually still have possession of the canceled first check I ever wrote. And I, you know, you put the date down and then pay to the order of Grit Publishing and, you know, and I can see my 10-year-old handwriting there, and it was really fascinating, and then the amount, and then you get, you get down to the signature line, and I can remember what I went through. I thought to myself, you know, I was getting ready to put my name on the signature line of the check, and then I thought, I'm just a kid. If I put my name on the signature line of the check, there's no way the bank's going to cash that, release the funds. And then the light bulb came on. I had a revelation. I thought, I know. I know exactly what to do now. I said, everybody knows my dad in this community. The banker knows him well. He's very popular. Everybody knows him. If I put his name on my check, it'll, go clear, it'll, go, it'll clear for sure. So I wrote my dad's name on the signature line of the check. Now, listen, the banker and my dad got a big kick out of that and we had to you know had to clean that up a little bit <laughs> but let me just let me just tell you something i was onto something i was onto something there because you know it's true names mean something names mean something god has given you a new name <laughs> the highest name anyone can have <laughs> once you accept god's christmas gift to the world and say yes to Jesus and the Savior's love, God gives you a new name, and that name is Christian. You become a follower of Christ. It's a new name. It's a new life. It's a new position. It's a new association. Everything is new. God makes all things new. He changes your name, and He changes you from the inside out, and gives you a name, and gives you a purpose, and gives you a life, gives you an eternal hope. It's a wonderful exchange, isn't it, to say yes to Jesus. So encouraged. Well, look at John chapter 1 with me, last verse of scripture today. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. My question to you is very simple. Have you received this Savior? Have you believed In his name. Let me just remind you: multitudes from every age, every nation, every tongue have already done this. And they've done it because they know what this name means for them personally. Jehovah, Yoshia, Joshua, Jesus, the God who saves, the God, the God of salvation, has come to us and now is available to us. Have you received him? Give him thanks and praise today. Thank you, God. Thank God. Praise God. Wonderful. Would you pause with me and pray? Jesus, your name is beautiful. It is special. You are the Lord of salvation. You are our God who saves. And we are so grateful that you entered this hostile world to save us. Think of it. To save us. You are so much more than a teacher, a healer, a counselor, a prophet. You are our Savior. That is such good news. Let me ask you again, friend, if you're within the sound of my voice today, in the room or watching online, are you ready to receive and believe? Maybe you're receiving today for the first time, or maybe yours is a moment of the renewal of your faith. No matter, God will hear your prayer. So let me encourage you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Everyone out loud right after me. Ready? Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Be my Savior and Lord. I want to belong to you and your great family. Thank you for being the God who saves so may the wonder of your name fill my heart with joy this Christmas and always. In your wonderful name we pray. And everyone said. If you are a candidate for baptism this morning, if you'll make your way to the front and over here, if you're family or friends of candidates, feel free to come as well and get as close as you'd like. If you'd like to take pictures, that's fantastic. This is a public witness And we're so thrilled. We are baptizing 21 people today in our services. Isn't that great? This will bring our total for the year to 203 people that have been baptized this year. Amazing. So good, so good. So, in support of those who've come today, would you please stand and let's celebrate.